0: To make things like this easier.
2: Um reading.
0: And ultimately, enjoy educating your kids. And what's that last thing?
2: Have fun together. Did I do good, Daddy?
0: <laughs> yeah, you did, sweetie. Good job. Hello and welcome to Homeschool Together. We got a great interview for you today, but before we begin. Head Down in the show notes, you're going to, get to see all the links, to all the things that we talked about in this podcast today, as well as links to our social media and also our YouTube channel. So you can see my beautiful glow of my face on the uh YouTube videos. Not really, it's kind of like a muted brown tan thing. <laughs> Not sure where
2: you were going with that one.
0: You know, sometimes you gotta you gotta job shop the uh the dad jokes, so <laughs> you gotta job
2: sometimes shop. they land. And-
0: Sometimes they crash. Sometimes into they the crash. side of the mountain. It, Sometimes they crash. It is what it is. So today who are we interviewing?
2: Yeah, Christina Garner from Blossom and Root. We you may or may not so, have heard so of her.
0: Good. We've had multiple podcasts
2: on this. Yeah, she- we really love Blossom and Root. We did the early years with our kindergartner when well, she yeah. was in preschool. We're gonna be doing it again with our younger. It is our recommended
0: Preschool curriculum.
2: Yeah, it's it's our uh, favorite one. If you're just starting out and you have really littles, uh, definitely look into it. It's nature-based. We're going to be doing the nature portion and some STEM parts of it uh, with our kindergartner later this year. So really exciting to talk to Christina not only is she a, a creator but a homeschool mom and had lots that, of interesting that, stuff. That was to a great
0: about. little wrinkle in the in, in the interview. A lot of times when we're interviewing creators and you know really really smart people in the in the industry we really just talk about like you know the business and stuff. It was really awesome to get into her you know she she's actively homeschooling right, right. she's her got her kids are still second and fourth grader right
2: young and and homeschooling so It's amazing. Yeah, it was really fun. She was lovely. We've uh, Wanted to get her on the show for a while, and as you can imagine, she's been so busy. She's has got uh-huh. lots of updates and things lately and creating new curriculum. So uh, anyway, don't want to take up any more time because this was a little bit of a long interview, uh, give you plenty it's of time. It's well worth the time. But we do want to thank you, members of our community, for asking questions. That was super great, and uh, we loved having her. So without further ado, here's Christina. Hi, Christina. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're thrilled to have you.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here.
2: So um, so for our listeners who may not know Blossom and Root and know your story, can you give us some background on your family and on what drove you to homeschool and kind of how uh, your journey evolved into creating a curriculum?
1: Absolutely. I was in education for a really long time. It was actually one of my very first jobs. I was an assistant. Uh, At my mom's early childhood education center when I was still in high school and I kept that job while I was in college. I actually went to school for theater um, in college and while I was in school for theater I taught uh, a lot of different workshops I volunteered for some after school programs teaching uh, mainly arts to I would say the majority was elementary age students Mm -hmm. and uh, continued working at the early childhood center all through college And, um, when I got out of college, I went back and got, uh, qualifications to be an early childhood, uh, teacher and later a director. So education had always been part of my life, um, from a very, very early age. And it was really important to my life. And then I had my two girls and that, that put a lot of things into really clear perspective for me, but I would say, I'd say. I think homeschooling really started being a crystallized idea for me when we moved, we moved to Hawaii when my daughters were just about to turn two and four. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when we were out there, I was working as a gardener and I was trying to find where I was going to put them in school for preschool or pre-kindergarten while I was working but we were having a really hard time finding anywhere that we could afford. (laughs) And (laughs) we were also having a hard time finding a place that really fit the bill for what I wanted for them. And it was really stressing me out. And I started thinking about why, like, why am I so apprehensive? And I, I think a lot of it had to do with my education background. I worked with a lot of kids For a long time, I would have kids that would come into the center at age two or three, and they would be in my life until they were much older. And actually, a lot of them were in my life until they aged out of the program at age 12. And so um, I saw them, uh, you know, being in love with learning when they were little and loving uh, coming to school when they were in pre-K and in my kindergarten class. I taught kindergarten for a really long time there. And then they would go off to public school and they would be with me for the summers. And I would just see so many of them uh, not being served by that system. And when they would come back to me during the summer, a lot of them had lost a lot of that spark and that light when it came to school and education and learning. And I I think that was really kind of soaking into me while we were in Hawaii away from it. And I think that had a lot to do with my decision, ultimately, that I didn't, I didn't know that school was the fit that I wanted for them. I wanted something that was more customizable to their interests and their passions, and uh, the values that we as a family hold. So I started to think really seriously about it. Um, Especially with my background, I felt very qualified in teaching them at home, Mm -hmm. um, right from the get go. So I was like, why haven't I ever really sat down and considered this before. (laughs) So I started looking for curriculum, and I would find parts of things that I liked, but nothing that was really what I wanted um, as a whole. And so I just, I was like, well, I know what I want. (laughs) So I'm going to (laughs) start writing it for them. And um, about, you know, halfway through the early years curriculum, it kind of occurred to me that there might be other parents out there that were looking for something similar to what I was looking for. So, I made the switch to not just make that for myself, but also make it for other families who were looking for something similar. So, that's really where Blossom and Root was born. And when we came back to Colorado um, after we left Hawaii, we just continued it and it continued growing. So, here we are. <laughs> were,
0: were there any um, uh, homeschooling? Well, maybe, um, maybe a better question is when you decided that moment that you were going to homeschool, Mm-hmm. had you done a lot of research in homeschooling? Was it something that you were well, you know, you were knowledgeable about You had done a lot of research. You had learned about a lot of educational philosophies, or was it something that just kind of pulled you there?
1: Well, I had studied a lot of educational philosophies when I went back to school to get my teaching qualifications for early childhood. Okay. Uh, we learned about Charlotte Mason. Um, when I went back for those qualifi- to get those qualifications, we focused a lot on her actually.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, at that point I started looking into it lightly, but I didn't think it was something that I would ever be able to do at that stage in my life. So it was kind of just in the back of my head. And when we moved to Hawaii, that's when I really started researching it more. And before making the decision with my husband that we were going to do that, I did spend a lot of time looking into homeschooling. So yes.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah. And you know, you're, you're obviously, you have a very popular curriculum, but it's always interesting to even hear from, you know, parents, we have a lot of parents that, you know, they're making that decision or they have the idea or, you know, some of them are, you know, having to deal with having their kids go back to school this year because they were kind of a homeschooling uh, COVID homeschooler. So it's always interesting to hear, you know, how people make that decision. And it's always, you know, we've interviewed a number of people and it's always a, you know, a different way, a different path, yeah, you know, to that same thing.
2: What, what pulls them, pulls them in. So when you were, You're doing your studies and thinking like, okay, I'm going to create this curriculum and you knew what you wanted. And can you talk about how Charlotte Mason and Waldorf and putting those together felt right for your family and kind of, you know, give our listeners an overview and a reminder on those philosophies?
1: Yeah, um those two really stuck out to me when I was doing my earlier research and even as far back as when I was getting my teaching qualifications for early childhood. Um the two of those really stuck out for me. Um but they weren't by themselves the right fit for my family. Um as they are uh as a whole. I hope that makes mm-hmm. sense. Uh, um Oh yeah. So I had to sit down and I was like, "Okay, what is it that what is it that I'm drawn to from each of these? And is there a way to put them together? Because they're really, in my opinion, there's a lot of elements that they share. And so I think they fit together nicely when you're not trying to do them from a purist approach. So I would say for Charlotte Mason, um, there were a lot of things I really loved about it. I loved the focus on literature and lots and lots of books. I loved the focus on nature and art and music. And I loved the concept of the child coming to you as a whole person that, that has ideas and that has their own opinions about things. And so instead of trying to build up a person, you're presenting them with lots of things to pick and choose what speaks to them. Um, So that's what I liked the most about her philosophy and i would say also i really like the way language arts is managed especially in elementary with charlotte mason with the narration and dictation taking center stage i just feel like that's a that's a way of processing information that really speaks to me and i think it i without knowing what i was doing a lot when i was teaching kindergarten i was already starting to employ a lot of those with my students, trying to approach them from that perspective, instead of asking them, you know, comprehension questions all the time, like, okay, what did Bobby do after he left his house in this story, you know, instead of doing that, (laughs) letting them tell me what they took from it, because I think actually narration really is an important part of it to me, because it really bothered me as a student, when my teachers would try to Direct my focus to really specific things in the literature rather than letting me find the pieces of it that spoke to me and going deeper with it. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. 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 Definitely.
1: Yeah, f- finding your own, um, what spoke to you out of what you just read and, and taking that deeper instead of somebody telling you, hey, look at this part, not that, look over here at this and tell me what you what you saw specifically <laughs> in regards to this. <laughs> so it was giving more to the student um, and making it belong to them and their experience. And I really like that approach. So I'd say from Charlotte Mason, those were the things I took the most from, from that philosophy. And then from Waldorf, I would say, again, you have the focus on nature, and uh the focus on art and making things uh creating things um instead of just taking notes or um what's the word i'm looking for like writing essays yeah. you know to mm-hmm. to process your learning but actually making something um more tactile and visual to process your learning and the other thing that i really took from the waldorf philosophy was the focus on story um and you'll see that in my um year one and up level language arts. We do a lot of um, retelling stories. So not only are you retelling it through the oral narration and the written narration, which is the Charlotte Mason part of it, but you're also prompted if it's appropriate for your child's learning style to do things like tell the story back with peg dolls. You know, you set the stage for the story and then you retell the story with peg dolls or toys that you have at home or stuffed animals or even just acting it out yourself and focusing on the story. So I would say those are the things that really spoke to me from the Waldorf philosophy.
2: It's really interesting to hear you talk about it because we've um, we've done the uh, early years uh, volume two with our daughter. And so just kind of hearing all of that uh, the focus on art and I'm just like bringing in pieces of what we've done it's mm-hmm. it's funny you know we had not really done art with her and and kind of felt like art with a four year old like i mean is that's mm-hmm. just doing crafts or doing painting <laughs> or something but but actually, when we went through the curriculum and studying some of these great artists, it's it's funny, even now, and it's been, I don't know, Matt, what, over a year yeah. since we finished it. Um, if there is, if she sees a picture of Frida Kahlo, it doesn't matter where it is. She's like, I know who that. that's Frida Kahlo. That's exactly that's awesome. who that is. And she she knows, right? She goes, oh yeah. And she likes to paint and, and and Diego, but he's always on her mind. And she's like, she knows all these things, right? Because she really remembered. She got really into uh, classical music yeah, the classical, of the music, the classical music part of it. That's wonderful. So it's really interesting. Um, she she'll recognize music and she'll say, "Oh, mommy, uh, did you know that that's, uh, you know, whatever." And it's like, "Oh no, I I was not aware." She actually got really into some of this, so it's interesting to hear how the the art and and some of that played into the actual philosophies it's it was really great and and you don't think of it for young learners in general i think no. i think we think of like yeah crafts and you know you read books to them and that's kind of and you do a little bit of math with them but to think about the arts i think is really interesting and part of the curriculum that we really loved doing
0: mm-hmm. i agree so the when you were doing the homeschooling and you made that that grand leap to say i'm going to make the curriculum um, for early learners and so on. How close is what you produce for your, you know, the early learners to what you did with your kids, um, in your home? Was there a lot of changes? You know, how was that process? You know, how did you go from like, okay, I was kind of a eclectic homeschooler to this. I'm going to put something that's more formalized or did it just start off formalized?
1: Well, um, I basically developed early years one and two, as I, As I did it with my daughter, my oldest daughter, Mm -hmm. and then my youngest daughter had the benefit of having it already made (laughs) when I got to her so it was already written out for her but um, yeah I, it was actually based a lot on what I did and wanted to do, when I was a teacher, when I was working with the younger, um, I worked with a variety of ages from, I think my youngest class was three. Year olds at one point. And then I, I spent most of my time teaching five and six year olds. So I had a pretty good um, range in there to work with. And there was, I had a lot of leeway because it was a, a, it's not a public school. So I was able to do a lot of what I wanted to do. Okay. But of course, when you're teaching a big group of children, it's a little bit different than when you're working at home. So there were things that I really wanted to do with my daughters that I didn't get to do in my classroom. So it was kind of a, a combination of both what i really loved doing with my classes but also what i really wanted for my daughters so i developed it while i was working with my oldest daughter
2: okay what considerations did you make obviously you know the learning styles of of your children um what considerations did you make in writing the curriculum to kind of be more accessible to a variety of different you know, children's ages and and styles of learning and, you know, that kind of thing. Is that that a consideration when you you develop the curriculum?
1: Yes, it is. And actually, I think you see it more and more as you go um, in the higher years of the curriculum I've written so far. (laughs) But I try to really emphasize that the curriculum is a guide for the parents, and I encourage them to adapt and adjust it according to their own child's individual needs. Uh, One example is when you get into the level one and up language arts, um, I encourage them to write for their child as long as they need them to so that they can focus on ideas over mechanics in those early elementary years. So Mm -hmm. if your child's not independently writing yet, I encourage them to write for them you know, have your child tell you what they want to say and you write it down for them. Um, And I also encourage them, you know, if there's anything that doesn't speak to your child, please feel free to drop it. You know, you don't have to keep it. If they don't like doing peg doll reenactments for the stories, you don't have to do that. You can use Lego instead. You can use Minecraft instead. They can just, they can just tell you what they like to do. Um, They can tell you orally about the story. They can, uh, any way that works for them. So I try to, emphasize over and over in the curriculum that there are adjustments that you can make. Um, Anything that speaks to your child, feel free to double down on that. If something's not working, feel free to back away from it. But I do try to do, um, I do emphasize a lot of hands-on learning in my curriculum.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the, the role of nature and being outside and being in the environment and how that plays into your curriculum?
1: Absolutely, that's actually one of the reasons we decided to homeschool. um, Was that I just I, I did not feel that it's a healthy pathway. um, Not the one I want for my children to be sitting indoors most of the day. If I can help it, I would like them to be outside more um, during the day. So, uh, and that's actually that's something that I saw with my students a lot. I would you know, the first couple of weeks of our summer program that I would run for my elementary students, I had to kind of reprogram them to being outside more because they weren't used to it. And I just feel like a lot of, a lot of the things that we need to fix are rooted in our disconnect from not just nature, but from each other. So it's actually pretty deep, <laughs> um, pretty deep reasoning for that connection and, I just felt it was important to not separate the two. I felt like nature and school belong hand in hand. And as many times as I can find to put the classroom outdoors or make it easy for the classroom to be moved outdoors, I wanted to make sure that was included and obviously emphasizing a lot of nature, especially in our early elementary science and our science in general. Um, mm-hmm. We try to always have a, an outdoor option, especially as you get into the elementary science, there's always an outdoor option for your learning.
2: So what advice would you have for parents that are maybe not naturally comfortable in nature? I mean, I remember we talked to um, a mom. Or, who... or the
0: fact that we've been locked down for a year. Oh, no. well, <laughs> I'm stuck yeah. in if this house. I got to get, gotta get out. Comfortable in nature.
2: <laughs> we talked to a mom who who uh, homeschools in Alaska. And she was saying that yeah. one of the biggest things she finds is that kids are not um, naturally averse to being outside in whatever weather it's parents usually that kind of (laughs) hold them back. And especially, you know, who who don't feel comfortable, don't have the right gear. Like what, what do you say to parents who feel that, you know, we Mm -hmm. don't want to hold our kids back, but I don't really love being outside. (laughs) How should they approach something like this, knowing that they want to get more outside exposure for their kids?
1: There's a few things I would say. One of them is to start small. I mean, you don't have to jump in and all of a sudden spend, you know, half the day outside every day, you know, Mm -hmm. even just going for a short walk as a family in the morning before you start or taking a break in between math and language arts to just sit outside together and have a snack or, you know, something as simple as putting bird feeders outside your window so that you can watch nature while you're indoors, like taking those baby steps are those baby steps are really helpful and important. And sometimes even I like if I'm if I'm in work mode and I've been inside all day long for hours, <laughs> I actually have to remind myself to stop and go outside. So, and I know okay, even if I only have 5 10 minutes to take myself outside, it's going to be worth that. So, um, yeah, start small. That's my first tip. And my second tip is just in t- to integrate it into your day. So, if your child is able to bring your homeschool outside when you can. Um, That doesn't work for all children. And I will say that even if your child is going to really thrive in that, you're going to have an adjustment period at the beginning where they're going to be really distracted if you've never done it before by every little bird and bug and leaf. (laughs) They're going to have a few days where they're just really still getting used to it, but once they understand that that's a rhythm that you're going to do on a regular basis, they start to relax into it and trust that it's not this finite thing and you're going to be doing it more regularly. And then they start to relax into it. And when we do our homeschool outside, I always try to break things up. You know, I say, okay, let's, I'm going to sit down with one of you and do math while the other plays, and then we'll switch. And then I give them time to play together in between. And that. I found that once they get used to that rhythm, they really focus hard when it's time to focus. They give me their very best effort and then they go off and play because they know that I'm not going to sit there and hold them hostage for an hour. You know, the whole lesson all at once, you know, I just, I, I try to keep it short and sweet and they learn that. And so if your child is able to moving your homeschool outside is a really good way to integrate more nature into your homeschool very easily, but that doesn't work for everybody. So when it when it's the case where it doesn't work for everybody or where you live, where that's not something you can do very often, just building breaks to go outside into your day. So maybe between, you know, the first and second hour of your morning, always having that break time to get outside if you can and just spending time outdoors. You don't have to build a lesson plan around it. You don't have to make it a learning experience, a, you know, an intentional learning experience. You can just play or walk, or observe, or have a snack, or a picnic outside, and having that time built into your morning. But then another tip I wanted to make sure I addressed, having learned this from experience, is to get good gear for yourself. So when we moved back to Colorado, I made sure to get my girls really good snow gear the first winter. So they had everything, snow pants, really good jackets, great mittens, good boots, they were very comfortable. They could be outside for hours, no problem, but I had neglected to get myself the same. So I'm standing out there in not good boots, not snow pants, not a good coat, and my really ratty little mittens that didn't block any water. And so I was miserable. So the second winter, I made sure to get better gear for myself and that made all the difference in the world. So we're not just confined to being outdoors during summer and the fall we can be outside during the very long winter that we have here
2: it's funny that you say that because we uh we spoke to the that mom from alaska and she said the same getting good gear right and so (laughs) so it's funny because i had already gotten good gear for our kids and then all of a sudden the 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 packages started to arrive and matt's like what is this why do i and i'm like those are your new snow boots those are your new snow pants Where, when are we going to the snow i don't know but we're going to be right here we're going to be, be ready, <laughs> you know, here's, ready for bought all the gear right and he was like is there a trip that i'm not aware of that's, I said, no but when it snows <laughs> we're going to go outside with our kids because we're going to you're going to have these boots for 20 years it's fine gonna,
0: yeah <laughs> it's in the pacific, fine. pacific northwest you're going to wear them three times a year that's right years. so they're
2: going to last forever but it was very funny because it was just the, the packages started rolling in you're getting new gloves you're getting a new hat he's like did yes. i need all this stuff
1: yeah, yes, you, you do. We do. <laughs> don't want to miss out. That's <laughs> right. We didn't want to miss out, so it's kind of funny. So you guys yeah. are in the Pacific Northwest. Yep. Yeah, we're just in outside, Seattle. just
0: outside Seattle. And, oh, it's uh, so
1: pretty up there. Shh, don't let anyone
0: know. <laughs> There's too many people moving here. Yeah,
2: we love it, and we can basically get out all year <laughs> yeah, long. There's really not a time that we can't.
0: That, that being said, it was also it felt like January. A week ago in june
1: right yeah i I feel that we had snow like two weeks ago two and a half weeks ago
0: that's insane that's wild okay we're
2: still at the stage (laughs) we still have one that likes to eat dirt so we're still that's that does definitely our outdoor outdoorness (laughs) Um, but but definitely you know working we we hadn't really thought of doing things outdoors every day and Hmm. when we did um, early years, you know, we got the nature notebook and started walking every day. And our daughter's like, Oh, let's go for a bike ride. But don't forget my notebook, mom, because you know, <laughs> we're going to see something. It definitely changed when we just made it a regular part of our day.
0: Yeah. The nature journal for the early. Yeah. 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 It was, it was a really good, it was a really cool feature.
2: Um,
1: Thank you. A lot
0: of, a lot of us homeschoolers are kind of like overachievers. We'll You know, we do our curriculum and then we yes. always want to, <laughs> we want to add stuff. And we always want to do more stuff.
1: What?
2: What? You're looking at me when you're saying I'm sort of looking
0: (laughs) past you, but not really.
2: (laughs) The stacks of multiple bold on curriculums are doing together.
0: I I have, I have 30, (laughs) I have 30 library books right behind me.
2: Oh, you what? don't even want to see my, I, I feel like the librarian, I give her my last name and she goes, Oh, Oh, it's those people. <laughs> Cause they have to go ah. get our holes for us right now. And she's like, yep. and I'm like, Oh, it's booze. Oh.
0: Jack, get the hand truck out. The boozes are here. <laughs> it's
2: you know, like two giant bags
0: <laughs> for librarians. So what, one of the things I think a lot of people, they always want to know like, Oh, is this a good book? Is this not a good book? Is this a good resource? Is this not a good resource? You know? You, as a professional resource picker,
1: <laughs> is that a my job favorite pilot? job? That's
0: feel free to take that one. That one's yours. I like it. <laughs> how do you make good? How do you know what's good? Like, you know, Ariel, you know, we'll be doing something and there'll be like, she'll just like blanket hold 30 books because they all have the same, you know, theme or, mm-hmm. you know, this country or whatever. And then we have to kind of f- thumb through them to like figure out, oh, this is just not worth our time. This one's not worth our time. How do you make those choices? How do you, you know, the wheat from the chaff? Yeah.
1: How do you, what what makes the cut into blossom (laughs) and root? (laughs) It's kind of hard to put my finger on it. I would say um, there. Okay. So there's, there's like a filter. So you start out with this big pile Mm -hmm. and um, pretty quickly, and I don't even know how to put my finger on this, but pretty quickly you'll thumb through. And if something just is so dry and so, um, and it kind of depends on the age you're looking for, uh, looking at the resource for, if it's just not going to speak to that specific age group very well, it gets shelved. And then you get down the filter a little bit more. And, you know, if there's uh problematic content, which is something that I'm coming, um, coming up a lot with when i'm working on our second us history curriculum. Um, you know I, I i'll get excited cuz i've gotten rid of the the first group of books and now i'm reading them, reading every single one that made that cut. and you'll be like third like 34 pages in 35 pages in and there's just like this little thrown out thing that's completely unnecessary and ugly and problematic and you're like dang. so you have to take that book and shelve it. And by the time you get through um, anything that's really dry or not appropriate for that age range or anything that has problematic content, um, it starts to get smaller. And so then I start thinking of things like, well, how accessible is this book? Because if it's a book that I'm using as a spine or a main book for a curriculum, it needs to be something that's relatively easy for people to get a hold of. So that's another consideration. If it's a really obscure book that's out of print, um, sometimes you can find those on like what's the name of it? Project Gutenberg or Librivox for the audio mm-hmm. and there's a few others, so sometimes out of print books you can find them as PDFs. but if it's something that's uh really visual and it's out of print, I generally won't pick it because you know that's not really fun for a parent to look at on a PDF for their child, especially for a younger learner. So that's another consideration. It's just something that's really accessible. Especially if it's a spine. But it's hard to put your finger on what makes that first big cut. It's mm-hmm. just, and it's and it's going to vary by child because there have been books where I was like, eh, but my youngest daughter was all over it. So
2: that's yeah, so happened to we, us. Yeah, too, we... we were like, like yeah. And she goes, no.
1: She goes, can you read it again? I'm like,
2: I didn't really? like reading it once. <laughs> yeah, you know? I know. It's so but funny. But for some reason, they just connect. Yeah, uh, yeah it is yeah. weird.
0: It's, it's, it is hit and miss.
2: Yeah, it's true. So, you know that's kind of how you go about choosing books. How do you how do you choose the focus, right? You you've got every year is a new uh, new themes, and we're going to be doing the um, the kindergarten uh, math and science rocket ship, which I'm super excited about. Um, but like, how do you how do you choose? You know what you're going to go after. That okay? You know we're going to do fourth grade, and it's going to be this. And you know is that something that's aligning with? what they're doing in regular school or, or how how do you make those decisions?
1: Not really. No, I have found that um, most of the time uh, the state standards, what they do is they pick like a couple of things from each branch of science that they want you to cover through the year, which is great. And that works really well for a lot of children, but what I really wanted and I thought my children would do better with, was a deeper dive into each subject. So rather than going, okay, well, we're going to study this for two weeks and this for two weeks and this for two weeks and this for two weeks. I really wanted to have a much bigger chunk of time to deep dive into different subjects when it came to science. So early on when I was writing, I think it was right before I started writing kindergarten, I kind of mapped out a really loose map of what I wanted to cover and in what order, um, specifically with regards to science. Um, I wanted to start with space because I always taught space when I taught kindergarten, (laughs) when I was still a teacher and they loved it. Like it was just the most fun we had all year was always our space unit. There's just something about that, that captures the imagination of a five or six year old really, really well. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and of course even older, but, uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's such a perfect topic. I feel like for that age, because it's. It's imaginative and it's far away enough to really get them curious, but it's still something they can relate to and look up at the sky and see. So um, that's what I wanted to start with. And then when it came to the following few years, I wanted to start with the ground up. (laughs) So we started with um, geology, which actually I felt like weather and geology went together really well because weather changes geology. So I thought they would go well together. So that's the first grade focus. And then I wanted to focus on plants for second grade, just because from an evolutionary standpoint, they came first <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I wanted them to be, I wanted that framework to be there when you get to third grade zoology. So you already have the understanding of the first layer and then you have the zoology, um, on top of that. And then I, I knew I wanted to come back to science in the fifth grade level, but I was like, okay, I feel like we need to cover, I don't know, like the fourth grade was a little bit odd because I I actually kind of flipped what I wanted to cover for fourth and fifth grade around um, because I felt like it was really important to understand some physics before you start learning oceanography and astronomy for the fifth grade level. So I -hmm. kind of inverted them after thinking about it for while I was developing first and second grade. So it's kind of like I I start out with a kind of a general pathway and I refine it as I get down the road, you know. I have an idea of where I want to go and then I carve it specifically as I go along. And the same for language arts.
0: Do you want are you looking for to be your curriculum as it goes forward? And we have a question here from our community.
2: They're super uh, excited, They're the way, super excited to to
0: about it. They want to know, um, like, you know, how long are you going to go with this? Are you going to go all the way to 12th grade? And are, it sounds like you're taking, like, the, kind of the STEM path in the, your curriculum, like, keeping it circled around, as you said, the plants, zoology, oceanography, physics. Are, are you trying to do a STEM, you know, focus on your curriculum as you well, go through?
1: I really want to focus a lot on, yes, STEM and science. Um, I feel like that's always been a really important focus for me. But in the elementary years, I wanted it to be more of an open invitation to explore your world and connect the experiences you have in the elementary years with the upper level science when you get there. Um, I felt like it was important for them to fall in love with the world first um, Mm -hmm. through their own experiences. So actually, I I do very much intend to keep building, but- (laughs) but I have to slow down a little bit because my daughters are getting older. And so they're requiring more and more of my time as a teacher. Uh, My oldest is about to start fourth and my second daughter is about to start second grade. So I have to slow down a little bit for that reason. But the second reason is that I want a team for my uh, sixth grade and up. So I really want to work with people who are passionate, experts in their field working with that specific age group, because I've always worked with, um, you know, pre-K, kindergarten, and elementary students. I understood that that world really well, and I haven't worked with middle school or high school students. So I want to work with people who really understand those ages, and I want to work with people who are experts in their field. So I'm going to need a team to develop the middle school and high school years. So that's another reason why I probably won't be able to put out one level per year um, moving forward after fifth grade. But I don't have a specific timeline fleshed out for that's the sixth really grade. Interesting. And
0: that is interesting because, I mean, if you actually if I remember back, that's kind of the at the end of sixth grade, that's kind of when you went into middle school and you all of a sudden you had multiple teachers at that point.
2: Things really stepped up at that age. Yeah. Yeah, they do.
0: And and, and that would make a lot of sense if you're going to partner with somebody to, to kind of, to kind of create that thing. Let's, you know, let's go back into like more of like what your day to day, like as a homeschooling mom, as you know, you are, you are a a creator and you have a business and you have a job. Some of us are just trying to learn how to deal with two kids. You have two kids (laughs) and a successful business you know, what is that like? You know, help us. <laughs> How do you manage your time? Go. <laughs> Ooh, <I'm taking> notes.
1: <laughs> it's it's a challenge. Um, I can imagine. I, I, I would say the first thing is that I get up really early.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> I right. um I want to hit the deck by four. So I'm up early enough to have enough coffee in my system <laughs> to sit down at my desk at four and start working. <laughs> so that's step one. Um, I work until about 8.30 in the morning and during the, you know, traditional quote unquote year, the homeschool year from like September to May, um, I stop at 8.30 in the morning to homeschool and we homeschool until about lunchtime, usually around 1.30, we're completely done for the day. They get the afternoon free to play or do interest-led learning and I go back to work. So during the homeschool year, that's my schedule and I balance it by doing a huge chunk of work in the summer. So right now I'm in the midst of my big summer block where I'm doing the majority of my writing. So we do still homeschool in the summer, but it's super light. We only do one subject a day. It takes us about 45 minutes total. And that's just to kind of keep them fresh and keep them, um, from having that. They tend to slide a little bit in, uh, in math specifically, over long breaks, so we just do a little bit of math or a little bit of language arts. We always continue doing lots of read alouds over the summer. That doesn't feel like school to us. That's just part of our lifestyle. So that that frees me up. I get I still get up super early, but I'm I'll stop at like eight thirty and eat breakfast and then get back to work. So I'm usually done working around two in the afternoon in the summer. And I would say another big thing is boundaries, and this is something I've had to really learn as the business is growing is having really clear boundaries. Like this is my work block. This is my homeschool time. And this is my time away from both of those, you know, and (laughs) I have to be really disciplined because otherwise I get really tired and burnt out and it's hard to create anything from that place when you're burnt out.
0: I, I, you know, running podcasts, homeschooling two kids.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Working Working
0: full time. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about.
2: Yeah. No. Yeah. No. It's, <laughs> so, it's a challenge. I told, how, how, yeah. do you,
0: how, how do you, you know, what are the, you know, I'm just asking for my, own, <laughs> like, you know, what, what, what are the kids doing when you you know, stop homeschooling and you kind of get back into the office? Are they just kind of free playing or are they outside in the backyard? I mean,
1: they're usually outside. Um, okay. my husband's home too. He works at home. So okay. he's, um, he's, he's always around to help me with them as well. So Got they it. spend. I would say they spend almost most almost all their time (laughs) outdoors, whether it's warm or cold or snowy or sunny, that's usually where they are. I can see them, um, really well from both places where I like to sit and work in the house. So it's easy for me to keep an eye on things. Um, they do play in the basement sometimes, um, build, they have like a whole craft center down there that they like to play at and build things at. So they're there a lot as well. And, My youngest, she has like this time in the afternoon where she really needs to have time to herself most days. So she'll, she'll take her time and go hang out in her room by herself for, you know, about an hour or so when she's needing that time to decompress. (laughs) So
0: so how, how has the last year and a half been for you at homeschooling wise? We've asked a lot of um, parents. (laughs) Yeah, I know we've asked a lot of parents. We've we've done a a couple series of homeschool journeys and also first-year homeschoolers. And a lot of the first-year homeschoolers are covid homeschoolers that you know homeschooling not by choice yeah. and it's been very tough and we've it's been interesting hearing what how they've been able to manage it how 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 has that impacted you and like your extracurriculars and all the fun things you guys used to do you know it's how did, how have you man- <laughs> how have you managed it yeah
1: um well you know before covid um my daughters both went to an enrichment program once a week okay and it was through the school district where we lived at the time we actually moved in the middle of all this To a brand new, yeah, it was really, really exciting to try and meet people in your new neighborhood when there's a pandemic.
0: Waving from the windows.
1: (laughs) Yeah, basically, (laughs) exactly. So um, yeah, they were going to this enrichment program and it was wonderful because they were around a big group of other homeschoolers that day every week. They got to take classes that aren't very fun to do at home by yourself, like (laughs) theater and (laughs) choir, you know, things that are really not doable at home. So they got to do those kind of classes and they made lots of friends and, you know, we'd meet the friends that they made there for zoo trips and play dates. And they were both involved in things like horseback riding lessons and gymnastics and dance class. So we actually had a really busy, busy life wow. <laughs> and, um, you know, we'd go to, we, I made a point of us to go to live performances at least twice a month for that whole year before COVID started. And so we were really getting into a good rhythm of that going to plays and concerts. And, um, so when it stopped very abruptly, uh, it really was, it was a difficult transition, not only for, for me, but for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Zooming with your friends is just not the same as playing with them in person no. and and having to move in the middle of it as well was really stressful. So, It's been challenging. But you know what, that nature based focus really helped us because (laughs) I was like, okay, let's just get outside, you know, so every day we go outside, if it's, you know, if it's really cold and blizzardy, we don't go outside very long. But, you know, most days we're outside for a pretty long time. And that really does help keep everybody grounded. But it has been so challenging, and I feel bad because all these new homeschoolers that came in for COVID or even just to start yeah. homeschooling this year—I'm like, this is not what it's normally like, you guys. We keep it's calling it isol- like this.
0: Yeah, it's I- isolation schooling.
2: That's isolation schooling.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's it's nothing like this normally. Like we would go everywhere; we were hardly ever at home, you know. Well,
0: and, and and I'm sure you know they're 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 losing everything, and, and mommy's probably very busy.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know,
0: considering you have probably been very busy last year. Yeah, yeah everybody's
2: been wanting your time. So, so how does, you know, you have two daughters and they're, Mm -hmm. um, what they're, they're two or three years apart.
1: Uh, they're just about two years apart. One's about to turn 10 and the other will turn eight a month later. So,
2: so, uh, you know, we have, we get a lot of questions about homeschooling multiple children and are you combining them into one level? What things are you doing together versus, you know, you're, you've got to do separately for each of your kids.
1: It's a mix. So for language arts and math, I do them independently with each child one-on-one. For everything else, we do things together. So we do science together, art, uh, history to a degree, um, music and nature study, we do all those together. Now history, um, my youngest kind of just jumps in where she wants to right now because she's still pretty little for history. (laughs) Um, So she'll join in on some hands-on activities here and there, but she really hasn't been participating in that very actively. That'll kind of change this year because this year will be the first year that she's more uh, actively participating. And I had to kind of problem solve because I had already done ancient history with my oldest two years ago. And I was like, I'm sorry, Blake, but we're going to have to repeat ancient history again, because I don't want to do two different tracks of history (laughs) for the rest of our school days. So um, (laughs) we're going to do it together and you and I can go deeper and you can pick some things that you really wanted to learn more about that we didn't do last time. And we'll go a little deeper into those, but we need to get on the same page here. So um, hopefully this year, history will be added to that too. But I do language arts and math independently. So my oldest this year, she did third grade language arts and my other daughter did first grade. And she actually did a mix of the first edition of first grade language arts. And then I was building the second edition of first grade language arts that I just released kind of alongside her, like changing things as I was going along, making sure I liked the way it rolled and the way it fit. So it was kind of a weird year, but um, yeah, we do math and language arts separately. So I, um, we have a pretty good rhythm now established where my oldest is usually up and ready to start before my youngest. So we usually start with language arts while my youngest is still eating breakfast now. And then when my youngest is ready, my oldest takes a little break and I work with my youngest on language arts. And then I do math with my oldest and then she takes a break while I work on math with my youngest. And then we do our together topic for the day, whatever it is, if it's science or art or nature study or whatever, that's when we do our together stuff is after we've already done our independent stuff. That's awesome. And that seems to work for us.
0: um so you're a former teacher so you have the um, special magic pixie dust and you know what to, <laughs> and you know what to do a lot of us homeschoolers you know myself included you know i'm i'm i also have two girls and i do the homeschooling and you know it's it can be challenging you know what, what are mm-hmm. techniques and you know how can i be more peppy <laughs> <and> more <laughs> i was
2: looking to be better teachers. i'm
0: always we, yeah, we're, there's a lot of there's a lot of parents we 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 see this question a lot how can i be a better teacher and, you know, what are techniques? Maybe there's a book you can recommend or, you know, an article. Go read this article. You'll be a kindergarten teacher in five minutes, you know. If
1: only it were that easy. If only
0: were that easy. Were that easy um, you know, what What are, the, you know, how can I become a better teacher?
1: Um, I think the most important thing to start with is to take the time to learn your child's uh, individual learning style and needs and what clicks with them and what doesn't. Um, of course, that's something that takes a lot of time. And and actually that's one of the greatest luxury luxuries of being homeschoolers that you have that time and that one-on-one attention Um, because that's hard to do when you have a classroom full of kids to learn each kid's individual needs and and preferences. So that's like the number one thing is to understand that it's going to take time. And of course, as they grow older, it changes and shifts. So um, I actually keep a log. Uh, I got the idea from Julie Bogart of Brave Writer. Yep. I keep I keep a log of our days together. So I don't, um, in our planner, our like fancy, nice, pretty planner, I don't plan ahead. I actually just write down what we did and interesting things that I've noticed about them or problems we maybe ran into that so I can remember how to avoid it in the future. And I think just being really intentional about your specific child's individual needs is the number one thing that's going to make you a great teacher. And the good thing is that parents already have so much background on their own child compared to what a teacher normally has. So um, that's number one. Number two is to be really clear about your goals. And as your child gets older, their goals because that's gonna help steer your decisions on what curriculum works for you and which curriculum doesn't work for you, where you need to spend more time and where you can spend less time. So being clear about your goals as a whole, but also like micro goals like year to year or month to month um, will really help you not waste any time or money on things that aren't gonna help you achieve those, but spending them on where they're most needed. So being really centered on that. And I think that's easier as they get older as well. And then I would say, feeling uh, free to manipulate pacing. So if your child is indicating that they're are they've already mastered something and they're bored to tears because you haven't finished the curriculum yet, <laughs> but they obviously have mastered that content, like having permission from yourself to go ahead and say, you know what, I think we've got this down. We don't have to finish this just to check it off, you know, and vice versa. If your child is like kind of having a harder time with the concept, don't feel like you have to stay married to the pacing that the curriculum has set up. Like if you need to slow down and spend a little bit longer on this letter sound or that letter sound, or if you need to spend a little bit longer on the concept of multiplication, for example, Mm -hmm. like feel free to do that. You can, cause you homeschool, you don't have to keep this pace because you only have X amount of weeks in a year to cover it. And you have 30 other students waiting for you, you know?
0: Yeah. You know, that last, that last point is something that I've kind of, I've kind of internalized in the last month or so just having that, you know, understanding where, where they're excelling and run with that. And then you know, Hey, this is maybe isn't as important or you're just not getting this. I'm not going to let this hold us up because you're not having a good time learning that. That's, mm-hmm. that's a great point. That's something that I've actually had to learn myself. And I think the yeah. hardest thing about being a teacher to your kid is actually just like understanding, you know, how being comfortable as a teacher. Well, yeah. yeah. you got
2: this imposter syndrome that yeah, it well, is. I yeah. didn't go for all these years and am I qualified to teach my, my kiddo? And, and I don't want to I don't want to mess up. I want to, I want to be the best teacher for them. I think that's, that's harder in some yeah. ways. You know, if, if we, if we had a, a classroom of kids and we were teaching there'd be definitely the feeling of, oh, they you know, their education's in my hands, but at home we feel like it's, it's almost more pressure because you yeah. love Steak. them. It feels and
0: like the, the, steaks, yeah, the <laughs> stakes are higher, <laughs> you know? They
1: are,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah I, I agree. The stakes, the stakes feel much higher. So um, on that note, Let's, let's talk a little bit about the, the folks who are really feeling that right now, the, you know, some, some families that are thinking that they're going to start homeschooling, they're, they're looking into it. They're feeling overwhelmed. Um, What would you, what would you tell them? What, what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's just starting out and thinking, you know, Ooh, I don't know, (laughs) this, this is scary, or I don't know if I'm qualified. I don't want to screw up my kids. Um, you know, <laughs> how, how do you comfort that, that, you know, cause it's true. Everyone feels this way. No one wants to mess up their kids. Nobody wants to have that, course, that yeah. kid who's 30 on Reddit going, Oh, my parents homeschooled me. You wouldn't believe what happened, right? You want to, <laughs> you want to give them the posts. world, yeah. right? So, so how do you, how do you assuage some of those fears? What would you tell those parents?
1: I would start by saying that you have to understand it's going to take some time to dial in your rhythm what works for you and your family, and most importantly, what works for your child. That's not something you're going to know right off the bat, and it takes time to figure it out. So you have to give yourself permission to take that time. I'm trying to think of a good example in my own experience. So like with my youngest daughter, I was concerned when I first started homeschooling her because she was not at all interested in letters and letter sounds and learning to read, This was when she was like three, four years old. My oldest daughter was really thirsty at that age to learn to read and, um, and pay attention to that kind of thing. So I was kind of a little bit nervous and I was like, okay, I'm just going to take some time to learn her rhythm and, you know, take some time to trust her process. And I just decided I'm not going to push it. We're going to do early years, volume two, when she's just a little bit older than my oldest daughter was when we did it. We waited a whole extra year and it made all the difference in the world. And in that year, she super, she just clicked into place and she was ready to not only read, but she like really went fast, (laughs) you know? So I feel like sometimes if we just learn to listen into our own child's specific needs, their own rhythm, that's step one. Step two is that you should not try to do it on your own. You shouldn't try to go alone, Um, find a network and i know that's hard to do in this post covid world but you know if it's just online that's better than nothing you know find a network of other homeschoolers ideally ones that have been in it for a while that you can listen to bounce things off of um hear the way they talk about things really um having that network is important i feel like it's it's not a good idea to try and do it all on your own in a bubble because you don't have any sense of framework do you know what i mean like there's no there's no connection. So that's that's part two. Another piece of advice I would give beginning homeschool parents is to um, follow the progress of the child they have. So um, really paying attention to where they're starting at the beginning of your homeschool year and tracking their progress throughout the year. And instead of like trying to um, compare them to an age-based scale or a standards-based scale, like just seeing their individual growth, Throughout the year. I think one thing that helps me a lot is every year I look back and see where we started with certain things and where we ended with certain things, like physically looking at their work. And that makes a huge difference because I think at the end of every homeschool year, we have that moment where we're like, did we do enough? What do we need to, you know, like, what did we not do? You know, but if you stop and look at, you know, you compare, you know, their ideas that they were having or their narrations they were having at the beginning of the year to the end of the year and see growth. That's what you're looking for. You're just looking for that individual growth Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: that trend of moving forward and deeper. And I think when you look at your individual child's growth, that really can be reassuring for what you, it's reassuring for what you have already accomplished, but it also lets you see, okay, um, I think we can maybe work a little bit more on this now, because I feel like that can be shored up, but we definitely don't need to worry about this because we have got that down, you know? So I think just looking at your individual's child your individual child's growth is really important. And then part 3 is that you have to be clear and honest with yourself about your goals and as they get older again their goals. So if your goals are to really follow a strict rigorous academic course, you know, you need to be making curriculum decisions based on that and um, rhythm decisions based on that. But if your goal is more to give your child space to be creative and to find their own voice, that's gonna change the way you look at resources that you wanna use and stuff. But you have to be honest with yourself about what your goals are. And you might not even know that whole first year or two even what your goals are. So you need to take time to explore different options, You know, read about different homeschooling philosophies and learn about different approaches and look at different samples and kind of see what speaks to you and what doesn't and finding a group that resonates with you you know a group of people that resonate with you but just understanding that it's going to take time you know that everybody kind of wants to jump right into homeschool knowing everything about where they're going and what they're going to do but it takes time and it changes over Mm -hmm. time so your homeschool rhythm is going to change seasonally And over time, as your child gets older, for example, I mean, I don't know, you guys have been doing it for long enough to probably have hit the winter slump, right? oh yes oh, yeah. we, we actually did a podcast yeah.
0: about it we were like yeah. why why do we feel weird why do we not want to do That's this right normal
1: <laughs> I know.
2: Like, but then we looked but at you it don't know that at first there we were, realize, there were yeah. slumps there's there's slumps that happen at all different times of years there's like multiple yeah. slumps it's not just and one time we
0: go year round we go year round yeah. we, we do too much we do full, full speed Are you, oh you go full
2: speed year round yeah we go full yeah. speed well year-round. i mean i don't know it's the summer is a little bit more like eh, we don't need to do hey, that today uh,
0: i got the kids at the back of this learning hot rod and we're going full speed well
2: it's <laughs> a little so we don't have to do quite that much it's it's not too bad hey, but, listen yeah. i can do
0: endless amounts of play-doh and, and hunger hungry hippos with the two-year-old if you want <laughs> i can do this all day long
2: you know i think it's <laughs> One of those things that when you start, we we kind of thought like, okay, yeah, you know, how are we gonna? What time are we gonna school at? Okay, well, you know, she's she's three and we have a baby, so that's mm-hmm. fine. You know, we'll do it this at this time, and then you know, six months later, well, the baby's got a nap at this time and this time, yep. so she's got to homeschool at this other time, <laughs> yeah. and then now the baby's one, and it's, oh well, now she's trying to get into stuff, so we can't homeschool while the baby's up. <laughs> now we can only do it at nap time. Yeah, so exactly. it's, it's all these other considerations. And yeah, it, and they it change. Like it changes. Yeah had yeah. all changes
0: like this week it yeah.
1: and that's normal you know and you know I've I've kind of saw that toward the end of our year this year um mm-hmm. my oldest was like I want to do more of the writing and creative projects next year and my youngest was like I want more math you know <laughs> that's not my thing so I was like okay but she loves it so um you know I I kind of had a pivot where my original plan for next year was going to go just trying to serve their because now they're starting to assert what they're most interested in and what they want to do more of and, you know, where they're needing more reinforcement. So that changes too, as they get older and it does take longer as they get older too. And then you have to kind of adapt that way. It's
2: constantly flexibility. And it's interesting how, the things that really interested our learner when we started and mm-hmm. even, you know, they, they, how they morph so much, we're mm-hmm. just getting ready to enroll in our own enrichment program, a parent partnership at our public school, um, for some enrichment classes. And I had a whole list of what I thought she was going to take, uh, <laughs> and how my, the curriculum at home was going to like pair with that. And she was like, I don't want to take clay sculpture.
1: I want to do Irish,
2: <laughs> beginning Irish dance. <laughs> oh, that's like, awesome. <laughs> oh, okay. Because I was thinking I don't need to add in this extra art component because she's going to be in clay sculpture, you know. And I don't know why. <laughs> I just thought like, well, she enjoyed doing sculpture with Daddy at home. i'm Of course, she's going to choose this. And she was like, "Uh, no, Irish dance <laughs> and woodworking."
1: Right. And woodworking. So she wants to do woodworking. <laughs> I was like, "Oh." okay, you know, see, that's awesome. But they do that all the time where you kind of like try to stay ahead of them and you're like, Ooh, they're going to love this. And they're like, <laughs> totally not into it. Right. And, and they all of a sudden hard. develop. Yeah, it is hard. Cause how are you supposed to plan and predict that? <laughs> we, can't. And we,
2: get in, we get invested. I get emotionally invested. I, I mean, I, I buy yeah. a lot of different curriculums and I look at things and I go, Ooh, we're going to do this. And, and then we're going to do this, and, you know, yeah. and then it becomes clear at some point that oh, she's going to hate that. And I, I I, feel like a little, like die inside a little bit because <laughs> I was really excited about doing it. that <laughs> to remember that this is not about me. <laughs> that this That's is the about- funny
1: thing. Like a lot of homeschool parents do that. And I'm, I'm guilty of that myself too. Like I, I'm i trying to also give myself the education that I wanted growing up, you know? Yes. So, so we do that all the time where we're like, oh, I really want to do this. And the thing is you have full permission to do things that you're interested in you know and that's something I have to remind myself like that kind of happened to me I think it was when we were doing stop motion in third grade and I was like Blake's gonna love stop motion she's gonna be so into it it's her it's gonna be your thing and she was like completely disinterested in stop motion. She like made a two minute video. She's like, I'm done. Um, but I was like, man, I was really excited. So I made my own stop motion video. And then I was like, okay, I feel better now. You know? but, um, Yeah, it is. It's, I think a lot of us do that just because first of all, we get really excited about putting something in front of our child that we think they're going to love, you know, that's mm-hmm. just love speaking. That's a love mm-hmm. language, but it's also, Oh my gosh, look at what education can be. Look at all the things mm-hmm. that it can be that I maybe wasn't exposed to when I was little. I, I didn't have all these opportunities open to me. So, we want to, of course, give those to them, you know. So,
2: it's but, a little bit of vicarious living, too. It like, is. Absolutely. Like I, I yeah. didn't get to do this when I was a kid. I would have loved exactly. to take this class. And so, you know, I'm, yeah, or, or study this thing. And so, I'm pushing the op- the opposite way and and she's just like i was like i i bought the whole set of sophie mouse i was like these books are adorable i bought those and too so and she didn't cute. like them i know and my daughter's like <laughs> uh i want to read about mummification again and I'm like i don't want to read about mummies anymore <laughs> we have read about so many mummies it's in this so house. funny that sophie and mouse happened to you too <laughs> right? but i i read the first couple and i was like oh these are the cutest, I know. sweetest books. They're perfect for a five-year-old. Let's read the whole set. And she was like, um. Doesn't have enough dragons. No. Yeah, She was like, no, no, no. I I don't want to, can we go back to Harry Potter or can we read more about the Incas? And I'm like, no, I don't want to read about the Incas right now. This is adorable. Why don't you like this? (laughs) I picked this out just for you. (laughs) Formula made for you. (laughs) So I I think that that's funny. Thank you for the, uh, thank you for the advice. I know that for a, a lot of new homeschoolers, it's it's scary to get started and to take that leap. And mm-hmm. so hearing from um, somebody that does it personally and then writes the curriculum, I'm sure would be really helpful. So uh, we know that we can follow you on blossomandroot.com, but where else should folks go to find out information about the curriculum and and follow you at?
1: I'm usually on Instagram. I think Instagram's the place that I probably hang out the most out of all of them. Okay. And it's at blossomandroot.com. Or just at blossom and root. Sorry, <laughs> so um, <laughs> I'm like no, that's not right. Yeah, it's just at blossom and root, all lowercase. That's my handle, and I I don't think I spend very much. Time. I don't really post very often to Facebook, and when I do, it's usually because I've shared a Instagram post to Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's the best place to find me. I do want to get back into more YouTube this fall when we start our homeschool year again because I cool. love making videos. I just don't have very much time right now, so um, I believe our youtube channels just blossom and root as okay. well but kind i'll give a, you guys the links
0: yeah yeah we'll make sure to put them in the show notes
2: for yeah everybody. we sure will and there's the blossom and root families facebook group which yes. is a lovely group of folks it is yeah. i love them they I do too, and then we often do Instagram follow parties and things. So, if, yeah. if listeners want to go on to the Bosman Root families, it's a private group, you have to ask for permission to join. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you'll find lots of other families yeah. too that are also doing bosman Root that we call fit, Follow Each Other, and that is <laughs> super fun to see everybody what everybody's doing. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time. We know you're going to wake up early and do a lot of work.
2: Yeah, (laughs) I don't want to take up any more of your time, but we loved having you. This was just such a treat for us. Thank you. Thank
1: you guys so much.
2: Thanks so much for
1: joining us today and
2: making us a part of your homeschool journey. Please engage with us on social media. Join our Homeschool Together podcast group on Facebook and find us at Homeschool Together podcast on Instagram. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, and recommendations. Until next time.
1: Happy homeschooling!